Good morning. It is good to be here this morning. Uh, I want to welcome the group back from Houston, from Impact. I'm glad that you guys are back, especially glad that you brought my wife back. That's deeply appreciated. Uh, Last year, they left her in Dallas, so I don't know if she was misbehaving or what, but this year they brought her all the way back, so that's a good thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the different ways that you bless us. Father, we thank you for being with a group that was in Houston for this past week. Father, thank you for blessing them, and I just pray, Father, that uh, what they did there was of tremendous value in your kingdom and tremendous value to the children that they worked with. And also, I pray, Father, that it's something that changed the lives of those who went. And I pray that in turn, Father, they will come back among us and change our lives because of what they saw and what they did and what they heard and how they saw you working in that place. Father, I do want to pray a special blessing on our area-wide worship service tonight. Father, I just pray that you'll touch many hearts and give them a desire to be here together tonight so that they can worship you with all their hearts and with all their souls and with all their strength and with all their minds. And Father, may what we do tonight glorify your name. And Father, we just pray that you will be with us during this time. Father, we thank you so much for the the Bible, the way that it's been passed down to us intact, the stories that Jesus told, the great teachings that he gave us. And Father, help us to be people who don't just hear those words, but actually live them out, put them into our lives. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So we are continuing our series of kingdom stories. And each week during this series, we're listening to one of Jesus's parables. And each week, I've been encouraging all of us to get in our time machines and go back in time to the first century so we can try and listen to Jesus' words as if we were there. Listen to his words as if he spoke directly to us, as if we were a part of his original audience. And it's really important that we do that. It's important that we do that because it's all too easy for us to treat Jesus' words and Jesus' stories as things that were said way back when to a group of them. But that's not what we should be doing. What we should be doing is we should be putting ourselves into that original audience so that we will hear those words spoken directly to us now. And if we'll do that, we'll find that those words are as relevant to us today as they were to those people then. I want to tell you that's never been more true than it is with the parable that we're going to listen to Jesus tell us today. We'll be in Luke chapter 12, we'll begin in verse 13 if you want to turn there. Today we're back in the crowd, we're back in that same crowd that we were in last week. We're in a crowd of thousands. It's not just a few people, it's a large crowd. We need to know that it was noisy, it was dusty, and it was chaotic in that crowd. And we're with people who are jostling for position, and we're with people who are trying to get Jesus' attention And then in the midst of all this chaos, one man kind of elbows his way to the front. And as we're wondering just who this guy thinks he is, we hear him shout out these words to Jesus. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And we don't know this man, and we don't know his specific circumstances, But we're able to fairly quickly fill in the blanks because this is a common story to our people. We immediately know that this man is the younger brother. 
And we know that he's not happy that his older brother is trying to keep their dead father's land all together. He's not pleased that his big brother is trying to keep the family land all in one piece. That's not what he wants. What he wants is he wants that land divided out. He wants control of his portion of the land. He doesn't think what his brother is doing is fair. He doesn't think it is just. And so he appeals to Jesus. He appeals to someone who he thinks has authority. He appeals to Jesus to tell his brother to divide the land. But Jesus leaves him disappointed when he replies this way. He says to the man, he says, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between the two of you? And that's really all that Jesus says directly to this man. And so as this disappointed younger brother kind of melts back into the crowd, then Jesus turns to us. He turns to the crowd and he says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus tells a story. He tells us a parable It's a parable about death, and it's a parable about possessions, and it's all in response to this man's cry for justice. See, Jesus refused to arbitrate the dispute between the man and his older brother. There are local courts, there are local judges who can do those kind of things. But what Jesus does instead is he addresses the cause of the dispute. He addresses the cause of the dispute in a very Jesus way. He addresses it by telling a story, a kingdom story, about greed. And he tells this story to all of us, not just to the younger brother. He tells the story to all of us because he knows that all of us struggle with the same issues that this little brother is struggling with. So let's listen to Jesus' parable. Verse 16. He said, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20, God speaks. God says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus concludes the parable by saying, This, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This is a story about problems. It's a story about the problems that people think they have and it's a story about the problems that they really have. And Jesus' story was triggered by this younger brother, this younger brother who perceived that his problem was his bigger brother, bigger brother was treating him unfairly. But Jesus points out his real problem was that he thought that all of his problems could be solved with money. He thought all of his problems could be solved with land. He thought all of his problems could be solved with possessions. He thought all of his problems could be solved if he just had control. And the farmer in the story that Jesus told also had a perceived problem. See, he thinks his problem is he doesn't have enough space for his stuff. His barns aren't big enough to hold this great harvest. Oh, what to do? What to do? My barns aren't big enough. 
And he comes up with a solution to his perceived problem. And it's a solution that may sound very familiar to all of us. If you have too much stuff, what do you do? Well, you build a bigger barn. Or you rent a storage unit. Or you put a, uh, your car outside and store things in your garage. Or you put some more cabinets in your house. Or you build a bigger house with bigger closets. That's what you do if you have too much stuff. But see, building this bigger barn is a solution to a perceived problem, but not the real problem. And Jesus, as he tells the story, shows that the farmer's real problems are much different than his perceived problem. And so the solutions are also much different than his adopted solution. See, the farmer's real problem is he mismanages the miracle that's been given to him. He's been blessed with a crop that's much greater than he expected. It's a crop that's larger than any crop that he had ever harvested before. It's a crop that's so far beyond what he needed that he hadn't even been able to imagine a crop like this. It's a harvest miracle. And the farmer acts as if he produced the crop himself. He acts as if he did something extraordinary to make this amazing harvest possible. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus pops his ego bubble and he makes it clear just how little the farmer had to do with this miracle crop. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says the ground produced this great crop. It wasn't the farmer. It was the land. It was the soil. It was factors well beyond the farmer's control that produced this miracle harvest. He also had some other problems. Added to this problem was an identity problem that the farmer had. See, the farmer's possessions had become his identity. Listen how he talks. It's my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. Sounds a lot like a two-year-old, right? Mine, mine, mine. Who is this man? Well, he's the man with the crops, He's the man with the barns. He's the man with the grain. He's the man with the goods. Those things have become his identity. And not only have they become his identity, they've become his security. See, he thinks that everything is going to be okay in the future because he has enough stuff. Remember what he said? He said, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Everything's going to be all right because I have crops and everything's going to be all right because I have barns and everything's going to be all right because I have grain and I have goods. And he felt like that security was going to take care of him. He felt like that was security because he had a distorted view of what the good life really is. For him, the good life was eating and drinking and being merry. I know many of you are old enough in here to remember the old, old Milwaukee commercials. You remember those? The concluding line in them was always, you know, fellas, it just doesn't get any better than this. As far as I could tell with the commercials, the kind of common theme was you had to have four-wheel drives. You had to have something out in the country, sleep in tents, and drink lots of beer, and life just doesn't get any better than that, especially if the Swedish bikini team showed up. That was later on in the commercials that happened, too. See, this farmer felt that way. He felt like he had arrived and just didn't get any better than that. 
The farmer's problem wasn't that he didn't have enough room for his stuff. The farmer's problem was that he had foolishly mismanaged the miracle that had been given to him. Most of us have also been blessed beyond anything we should have ever hoped for or ever imagined that we could have. And oftentimes the only reason that our possessions and our things don't seem miraculous to us is because we live in a time and a place where we see others who are blessed even more than we have been blessed. And just like the farmer, we tend to believe that our wealth and our possessions are due to our own cleverness. If we listen to ourselves, we use the same kind of language, don't we? I earned that. What am I going to do with my money? What am I going to do with my stuff that will no longer fit in my house? And like the farmer, we also act as if we are secure and our future is secure because we have enough possessions, because we have enough in our accounts, because we have large enough insurance policies. And like the farmer, we frequently wrap our identity up in those same possessions. And we tend to judge our worth and the value of those around us based on things like money, things like titles, things like status. How do I know I am somebody? Well, just look at my job. Just look at my house. Just look at my toys. Obviously, I am somebody. How do I know you are somebody By looking at your job, by looking at your house, by looking at your toys, that's how I know you are somebody. And see, when we take inventory of all of our stuff, we often act like we're in one of those old Milwaukee commercials. We sit around saying, fellas, it just doesn't get any better than this. The farmer didn't understand that the crop He didn't understand that the barns, he didn't understand that the grain, he didn't understand that his goods, he didn't understand that even his very life were on loan from God. They were on loan from God. And we have to understand that as well. See, tragically, the farmer didn't understand that the payment of those loans from God could be demanded at any time. What did God say? He said, your life, this night, will be demanded from you. That's loan language. God is taking back what he has loaned. He's taking back the life. So then what will you get? What will happen to all those things that you have prepared for yourself? The farmer had missed his opportunity to be rich towards God, and instead he chose to be rich toward himself. I know most of us in here aren't farmers, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot in common with this particular farmer, does it? We have a lot in common because we also forget that all of us stuff that we have, that doesn't belong to us. It also is on loan from God. It's also a gift from God. Even though we may have picked up this morning's paper and we may have glanced through the obituaries, which was page after page after page. Even though we might have attended Leroy's memorial service yesterday, and even though we have constant reminders around us in the newspaper and on TV and on the radio that life is very fragile, like the farmer, we routinely refuse to face our own humanity. 
we refuse to face our own mortality. Like the farmer, we lose sight of the fact that our lives are also a gift from God. We have no promise of tomorrow. And I think all of us deep down, I think all of us know just how foolish all of that really is. See, we know deep down that we aren't clever enough. We know deep down that we can't ever earn enough. We know deep down we can't ever save enough. We know that we can't hoard enough. We know that we can't control enough to ever be secure, to ever be safe, to ever not end up in the obituary column. So it's no wonder that we're so worried. It's no wonder that we're so afraid. Because we know, deep down, we know how foolish that relying on ourselves really is. And that's why Jesus follows this kingdom story by telling us how we can stop worrying and telling us how we can stop being afraid. Jesus tells us how we can stop being foolish. Jesus tells us how we can manage the miracle of our lives without worry and without fear. Verse 22, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you can worrying can add a single hour to his life? And since you cannot do this little thing, what do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor and they don't spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more so he will clothe you, O you of little faith. He says, so do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about it. See, the pagan runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. It says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes in and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not worry. Don't be afraid. And I want you to know, and I think more importantly, Jesus wants all of us to know That we don't have to spend our time and we don't have to spend our energy foolishly worrying about a future that we can't control anyway. Jesus wants us to know that we don't have to spend our time fearing a future that has already been secured for us. Already been secured by God for us. We don't have to worry And we don't have to be afraid if we truly believe that God is nothing like the older brother. See, our God won't require us to cry out for justice to receive our inheritance. All we have to do is we have to call on his name. 
And we don't have to worry and we don't have to fear if we'll instead choose to spend our time rejoicing that we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to do it our own because we are heirs. We are children of the king. And we don't have to worry about protecting our stuff. And we won't have to be afraid of what's going to happen to our stuff after we are gone if we'll only start treating our possessions as the gift from God that they really are. And we won't have to worry. We won't have to worry about how long we're going to live. We won't have to worry about dying, and we won't have to be afraid about death. If we'll face our humanity, and if we'll face our mortality, by treating our lives as the gifts from God that they are. Our lives are a gift from God with a promise from the king of yet a better life, a better life to come. And we don't have to worry about our food and we don't have to worry about our clothes and we don't have to worry about our shelter if we will really trust that our God will meet all of our true needs. And we don't have to worry and we don't have to fear about whether we are clever enough or if we earn enough, or if we have saved enough, or if our house is big enough. We don't have to worry, and we don't have to be afraid if we will instead seek God's kingdom. If we'll seek God's kingdom by being rich toward God. Be rich towards God by sharing the miracle of our lives with those who are around us. So by all means, enjoy this life. We should enjoy the good that there is in this life. God put those things here for us to enjoy. We should enjoy the miracle of this life. But we should also conquer our worry and conquer our fear by knowing that it does get better than this. So as we close, I want you to imagine Jesus telling a different kingdom story. A kingdom story about you. God blessed a certain farmer with an amazing crop. He thought to himself, what should I do with God's abundant crop? And he decided, this is what I will do. Instead of building a bigger barn, I'll share God's blessings with those who don't have a barn. I'll share God's blessings with those who don't have land. I'll share God's blessings with those who don't have goods. I'll share God's blessings with those who don't have any grain. And God said to him, my wise child, this very night I will take you to the house that I have prepared for you. Because this is how it will be for any of you who stores up heavenly treasures by being rich toward God. That's really the good life. That's the surrendered life. That's the life where we Everything that we have and everything that we are is given back, richly given back to our God with a promise that he will richly give back to us. So won't you surrender? Won't you surrender everything that you have and everything that you are to God? Let's sing. Sing.